Okay, welcome back, everyone. Lights Out Podcast, front and center right here. Um, you know we like to go on some deep dives. We like to nerd out uh, with, with some historian-type things. We got a great one for you guys right now. I'm here, uh, as usual, with Mike, Miguel, and, and our friend Scott. So, uh, Miguel, uh, Mike, go ahead and introduce Scott. Let everybody know who he is and what he does. So this is going to fall into the history portion of the podcast that we do. So Scott is the owner and curator of the Bare Knuckle Boxing Hall of Fame, as well as the, I, I think you are the, is, am I going to say the owner of the Police Gazette Boxing Belt? President. 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 Okay, we'll go president. So we brought him on today. Obviously, we're going to talk a little bit about what he's got going on in upstate New York, as well as one of the most famous bare knuckle fights, probably the last bare knuckle heavyweight fight in history of, you know, I, I think it's before, you know, it all started again uh, in its current state. And that's Jake Kilrain and John L. Sullivan. So, yeah. ooh, Scott, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, uh, nice to, thanks for having me, guys. Now, you know, uh, Sports Illustrated called that, recently called that fight the outlaw brawl that started it all um, uh, back in uh, 1889. Uh, I've ooh. been to both places. I've been to the site uh, where that fight took place. I've been to the site in Mississippi City where Sullivan first got started in 1882 and uh, beat Patty Ryan in nine rounds to win uh, the first ever Police Gazette belt. And uh, um, and I got to tell you, I'm so proud. I'm only the second person in history ever to be in charge of uh, uh, the ultimate award in combat sports, and that is uh, the Police Gazette Boxing Corporation. Chris, you've raised many belts above your head. <laughs> Every single belt you've ever, ever won owes its origin to ours. Ours was the really? very first in America. Yes. All right, now, yep. now, now, let me interject, Scott. I mean, and we're going to oh, be to you a lot, so I'm going to apologize. So, <laughs> so actually, Chris, I, I've mentioned on this podcast before, there was a fighter named Jem Mace, Gypsy Jem Mace from Europe. And... If I had to like pick somebody that may have came from a different time period and time traveled back in time, Jim Mays, if you look at his body of work and what he accomplished in the time uh, that he it was performed in, you can make a hard argument that the guy is not from this planet. Like yeah. he is without a question, without the first world champion ever. So Jim Mays and Jake Kilrain fought in Europe. It was a draw, and the reason it was a draw is because they did one-minute rounds, 30-second rests, and I think it went like 100 and almost like almost uh, just under 170 rounds, <laughs> and they ran out of sunlight. Yeah. So there was no lighting, and they called it, and it was because it was in Europe. It was Jem Mace's, you know, kind of hometown. People, the newspapers are like, well, Jem Mace got handled. So when... Jake Kilrain came back to the United States. The Police Gazette awarded him the belt. Am I correct? Well, um, am I off on that, or am I kind of you're off a little? You're 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 off okay. a little bit. Um, uh, it was a uh, uh, a different fighter when he came back. It was uh, um, that's part of the story. Um, it was Jem. You said Jem. Uh, Jake Jem Mace. Jem, Jem. Yes, yes, Jem Mace. Um, yes. um, the, uh, um, 
when the uh, the story goes is that uh, in 1882, Sullivan wins um, the first um, uh, Police Gazette belt, and he goes down and he starts um, against Kilrain against uh, Patty Patty Ryan. Eight, 18, 18, okay. 82, the American, the American belt. And um, the, um, uh, in 1882, he wins that. It's so popular of a fight, people, uh, there's 5,000 people that come to watch it. Uh, in disguise is Frank and Jesse James. And uh, they come to watch it in just a few months before uh, uh, um, uh, Jesse is uh, murdered. Uh, but it was so important that they came back then. There was only just a couple sports that were popular, wrestling and, um, and, and boxing. And uh, other sports hadn't really even started to get a, got a foothold on it. So Sullivan wins that fight, and he goes back to Harry Hills in New York City and is uh, having a drink with some of his friends. Uh, Harry Hills was the, was the popular spot there in New York City to fight. And uh, uh, he's getting pretty sloshed, as Sullivan does. <laughs> and uh, Richard K. Fox was the, um, the person uh, who was in charge of the police gazette. And he tells a waitress, he says, have that, uh, have uh, Sullivan come over here. I want to congratulate him on his belt and on his win. And uh, Sullivan says, I'm not going to get out of my damn seat for any damn uh, 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 reporter. He can very well come over here. I'm not going to leave my friends. Said it very loud, very boisterous. Uh, Fox was a man of huge pride. Uh, that set Fox off and set Fox off on wanting to um, get a um, uh, have a revenge fight, somebody that would embarrass Sullivan in, in front of everybody. So he went for years to try to find people, and uh, uh, he tried to get uh, uh, um, uh, folks to fight. Uh, and Kilrain actually um, came up and uh, challenged Sullivan early in his career. And Sullivan, or a couple of years later, and Sullivan said, "No, you're not in my league." Well. Uh, so then as comes in the fight, Mike, that you were talking about, um, Fox went over overseas, uh, uh, had uh, two people fight. Uh, it was 106 rounds, uh, Kilrain versus Jem. Okay. Um, uh, and Jem, to Jem's credit, he was much older. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jem was yeah. fighting into like his mid-50s and starching <laughs> champions from like Australia. He would just show up in these countries, his old dude that was out of shape and he would wreck people yeah i like it yes yes um and uh, uh he would come they came back and he picked picked a fight going to a draw can you imagine 106 rounds to a draw and uh um uh Kilrain just liked how um fox liked how Kilrain fought picked him said he won uh brought him back and now he officially officially um uh, once again now that now that uh, Kilrain has proven himself challenges Sullivan. Well, Sullivan had been in the battle an awful lot, in fact, so much that uh, his uh, uh, doctor had told him that he better go see his father because he was uh, so bad off from alcoholism that he was going to die. He was walking around on crutches. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, so he challenged, uh, uh, Kilrain still challenged Sullivan. Sullivan said, no, I'm not going to do that. You're not in my league. Kilrain saw his moment, stepped in unilaterally, stripped Sullivan of the American belt, put some diamonds on it, called it the World Police Gazette belt, gave it to his winner, uh, or his new champion, I should say, Jake Kilrain. Uh, the people of Boston were up in arms. They pooled their money, $8,000, uh, to make their own Boston belt, and they gave it to 
Yeah. They gave it to Sullivan um, July 4th. Well, it was dated July 4th, 1887. But they gave it to him a couple months later just because he was uh, so, so patriotic. They would put that date on it. Uh, well, that, and, that, uh, that also was a huge date for boxing. Like July oh, 4th yeah. was yeah. synonymous. That was kind of like the Cinco de Mayo of the turn of the century. Like every Cinco de Mayo, they got like a, a big headline fight. Fourth yeah. of July was that in the United States. Like in yep. the turn of Yep. And they, uh, what they did is uh, they had uh, Sullivan, um, uh, um, they made it two inches bigger than the Police Gazette with a, to say have a big FU to the police to the Police Gazette back then, <laughs> the people of Boston. It was, uh, like I said, $8,000 in 1887 wow. money. Um, uh, uh, and then, uh, at a side note, I was just called into the Smithsonian uh, about three, four months ago, just before the pandemic started, to identify a belt that they had, that they thought that's what it was. Was I it? Special, I got a special tour of underneath the Smithsonian. They have only 1% of everything they own up on top. What? And they showed me everything underneath. Amazing. I identified it as the remake of the belt, of the Boston belt that they had made for uh, the early 1900s exposition in Louisiana. Um, so it wasn't the actual original Boston belt, but it was that. But they did say, since I am who I am and we are doing what we are doing, um, that they will send it to Belfast anytime we want to have it on display. Oh, look it at that. It better be there. It better oh, be there for that Chris Lytle uh, your Hall of Fame introduction. Now, those, medall those medallions that I give out, um, I actually presented the Smithsonian with one, and they loved it. And they've got it on, on display down there of uh, the medallions we give out now. And uh, those medallions are made from the original copies of the 1850s that we have. Um, so um, then, so, so Selvin then finally decides, okay, well, wait, I'm going well, to, yeah. I, I think, I think you're, John L. Sullivan, I mean, just, let's just put it out there. There's an elephant. Yeah, yeah. John L. Sullivan did not like fighting bare knuckle. He preferred gloved boxing. And it, he got dragged into this bout because that was a sense of pride. But he did not like bare knuckle fighting. He did it for the money, but you're absolutely yeah. correct. And people are always amazed when I tell them this. They always yes. say it's John L. Selvin, the number one bare knuckle fighter of all time, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> wait a minute. I, I could argue that, but wait he a minute. He ended it. How many times did he fight bare knuckle? Twice. Well, he has five, five hundred fights. Three fights bare knuckle his entire career. Oh, that's it? I, I three. Was... Chris, no, you got one more to do, that. Chris. Just I can three. beat him. I have my three. <laughs> Just three. Yeah. He, uh, he, so like he, he obviously I, built. He uh was, he started out by beating a uh, Paddy Ryan. Then he drew Charlie Mitchell after thirty nine rounds, and then he beat um he beat uh, uh Kilrain in Mississippi. So to back up a little bit, what had happened was because of money, Sullivan finally said yes, I will agree to fight. Uh, I want that belt back and I want the title back. He wrote a letter. I've got the letter. He did. He refused to call Kilrain champion, but he said, I want it. And uh, uh, the, uh, the purse was $20,000 in 1889 Ooh. money. Um, cor yeah. Correlates to about 300,000 now. Um, wow. uh, um, and he uh, said, I'll take that fight. And his buddy said, Johnny, what the hell are you doing? You can't even walk. He said, I need the money. He said, well, we'll get you a trainer at least. So they got him a trainer. Yeah, he was out of shape. It, oh, it, it, my God, was he ever out of shape. And an alcoholic ready to die. That's a true story that he, uh, he was told by his doctor, go see your father because you are going to die from alcoholism. 
okay, 30, right. 32 now, years old. Now, this oh. is how, how we introduced Miguel to this. Who was his trainer that got him in shape? Yeah, that, that, that was William Muldoon. Oh, it was. His oh. second trainer, though. His second trainer. His See, that, that's trainer why. That's why. That's drinking. why. <laughs> no, William Muldoon is a second trainer to anybody. Ah. Well, no, there's, no. A little story. There, there, there's a story to everything I got, Mike. And what happened is they hired this guy and he outdrank him. And, they, and then in stepped William Muldoon. Now, William Muldoon, undefeated Greco-Roman wrestler of his time, so good that when he finally finished, he was allowed just to handpick, handpick the next champion. But to back up, he knew he was the first one who ever believed in um, the physical culture, that the way you worked out, what you put in your body made a difference. He saw this opportunity and he said, hey, let me bring Sullivan to my little bitty rinky-dink town up here in western New York, a, a town that still does not have a traffic light. And he <laughs> said, I, if I, I'll train him under my method. And if he wins, I get 10 grand. And if he loses, I'll take nothing. So Sullivan agreed. Sullivan comes in at 250 uh, now, 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 Scott, 250 I, I don't pounds. mean to keep interrupting. So, Chris, this William Muldoon, turn-of-the-century athlete, his training techniques, his breathing techniques, his living and eating like habits, he wrote a book about it. And I'd say about 80% of what he figured out before, you know, before the turn of the century are still in play today. That's oh, all. Yeah. Hey, fellas, I got bad news. I got to run. You guys keep going, I guess. I don't know what to do. All right, Chris. Okay, okay well, so jump back in. Jump check back, check in, back in when we run. we might be here. <laughs> oh, we're gonna be here. <laughs> ah, I think we might be here a while. Okay. Well, All right. To, 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 to add a little bit more about Muldoon, uh, yeah. Know, not not, but like the the things that stick out for me that I remember too. Yeah, uh, they came from the world of wrestling, and that wrestling and boxing were. Uh, definitely closer than they are today. Uh, you know what I mean? In, oh, yeah. in terms of the, the bottom line is in New York, you know, certain larger bars and things like that is where these things went down. Like Wednesday night was wrestling night, Thursday night was boxing night. So these guys all intermingled and knew each other. So he had some respect and stuff. The wrestling accolades are all there. But what, what fascinates me too is stuff like, um, you know, back then there's no theater, uh, there's no movie theaters or, or any television at all. You go to the theater, and these places were also served as theaters. And one of the things that he did because of his physical, he would paint himself white and stand still as like a statue. Oh yeah, uh, you know oh, that yeah. that sort yeah. of thing. That oh, was yeah. part of what he did as far because of he could he could pass for it. And then oh, the statue moves. You know, yeah. you, that's oh, an yeah. achievement in the 1870s. You know. So in essence, when you're in a big city like New York, Chicago. And you got the panhandler painted gold and silver. That was Muldoon back in the day. He was the yeah. original guy. Right, right. <laughs> Without the bucket in front of him begging for money. Right, right, right. So right. And now, so and now people say, well, how did they make their money back there bare knuckling? Well, bare knuckling was illegal, um, never was legal. And what they would do along those lines of what you're talking about is that they would then reenact their illegal fight in a, in a, a, on a stage. And people would pay 50 cents, 25 cents to come in and watch the reenactment of that illegal fight that happened a few months ago. And that's how the fighters made 
their money many times. And I yeah. do want to, I do have to step in though, Mike, and, and correct you. Um, Please do. Uh, I, I mean, Scott, I'm going from like top of my head. Yeah, so yeah. I, well, I, let, I, but because this, and this is an important, this is an important thing here. Um, because I stumbled too, because you said it so, so uh, uh, um, matter of fact, but it was not um, Jem Mace, it was Jem Smith that fought Kilrain overseas for that fight. Jem Are you sure Smith, about that? 100%, I'm sure. Okay. 100%. Jem Mace, though, Jem Mace, in his own rights, fought for five decades. He yes. fought into his 70s. He was, he was in our very first Hall of Fame class, Jim. As you should have. Amazing, amazing fighter. But in case someone's listening, I want to make okay. sure that we got that right. I, I, yeah. You know what? Like I said, I'm, I'm going. I've got zero notes in front of me. <laughs> it was Jim somebody. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan, and you know I'm going for my yeah. head, and you know yeah. sometimes I'm going to make Then Jim Mace went on to travel, travel around in circuses, and do all kinds of stuff, and uh, uh, amazing, amazing. Fighter. one of the top fighters of all all time. Never got. The complete dues that he should have got but we gave it to him because we inducted him into our very first class and i sent you some pictures of our yes uh, of our program so you can so you can see that so back to what we're talking about let's go to the fight so yeah. so muldoon steps in says okay i'll train him so sullivan comes into belfast 250 55 pounds after six weeks muldoon gets him down to 195 now you That's gotta nuts. get now it was the first week was hell because Selvin did not want to do a damn thing. Muldoon wanted to do everything. So, so, so Muldoon finally put him on a horse, took him out 20 miles, told him to get off the horse, took the horse and find your own damn way back. Yep. That's now exactly. I've trained, I've trained two fighters so far under the Burke Muldoon system. We use the same stuff. So, uh, and I'll get to that in a minute, but anyways, to complete the story on the first lap, um, Sullivan uh, um, gets into shape. Muldoon doesn't like that he's down to 195, puts beef back on him, has him going at 210 pounds um, in the fight in Mississippi. He's a five to one underdog until he takes his robe off. Once he takes his robe off, the betting goes even in, in his favor. Uh, he has a side bet of $1,000 with Kilrain. Um, and after 75 rounds, two hours, 16 minutes, outside in 104 degree weather, in the middle of Mississippi, he wins. He wins the police gazette belt. He wins 20 grand. He takes that belt to get back at, at, at Fox, the only other guy in charge of the belt before me, throws it on the ground, says, I, won't, I wouldn't put that belt around the neck of a goddamn dog. And then he turns back to his second and says, pick it up. Maybe someday I can sell it. So <laughs> that's, exactly what happened. that's exactly what happened. But Muldoon goes on, takes that success, jumps on it, trains Harry Houdini, President Roosevelt, President Taft, becomes a, a, on the President's Commission of Olympic of Athletics. Coach. He saves boxing in New York State, becomes the very first commissioner from 1921 to 1924 until he loses his job because he would not sanction a fight between a white man and a black man. That was the sign of the times. Uh, people will say maybe he was racist. I don't know, but he remained a very big force in all kinds of combat sports. Um, um, but he is credited, actually he's credited with the reinvention of uh, the medicine ball. Now, how does that, but how does, uh, and I found some of those when we opened the barns up. So let me step back to when I yeah. was not nine years old in 1969. Can, can I slow you down for a moment? 
Yeah, yeah. Let, let's pause right here and state, though, because I think uh, I wanted to be clear for the audience, too, is that the William Muldoon farm where he trained John L. Sullivan is the site of the Belfast uh, Bare Knuckle Museum that, that uh, you're curator for. So uh, tie, yes. tie that in together and, and uh, yes, tell us how yes, that came that's about. Where, and that's, where I'm, that's where I'm going. Good, um, good. I actually ended up working with Bert Sugar hand in hand on it. And he said in the end, he said, Scott, you know what you've got there? I said, well, Bert, I've got a barn. <laughs> and uh, he says, yeah, I say, and I said, I've got traffic lights in town. He says, you'll have a couple as soon as fi people find out about them in the Burt Sugar way of saying things like that. So in 1969, um, uh, my mom, the best genealogist in the area, took me nine years old over to the barns, these barns. She said, there's some barns in Belfast I want you to look at. I think something will, I'm hoping something will stick. And so I went over there and I got a tour of these barns and, um, uh, from Pat Patterson, who was nine years old when Sullivan was there. And he took me around, and little did my mom know how much of it stuck with me. But he was there, he shook the hand, so I shook the hand that shook the hand of John L. Sullivan. Pat <laughs> actually rode in the back of the wagon that pulled Sullivan through town, chained to the back, running. And Pat, as a small boy, his task was to throw pebbles at Sullivan while he's running, so he dodges them left and right, left and right, as a training method. And uh, um, I got to talk to Pat about that. It was great. He was 90 years old then. He showed me um, the cell. He showed uh, uh, um, uh, where he where Sullivan was locked up, where that when he had too much to drink, where the chains are still there, where Sullivan was locked down when Mrs. Muldoon wouldn't let him in the house. So I got my tour. 40 years later, I get a call from uh, the church in town that they own it. And they say, you know what? We don't know if we're going to knock this thing down to save it. What are we going to do with it? I said, oh my God, save it. They said, well, you're the only one we trust with it. So um, would you like it? I said, yeah. They said, well, if you could help us out with a donation because we want to put a new roof on our church, we'll give it to you. Oh, okay. So they had to check it out because William Muldoon left it to the, the barns that he built in 1884. He left it to the church in, right there in Belfast. Through the lawyers, they said, yes, you can, uh, you can own it, but you've got to move it off the property because it can't be privately owned while it's on the property. Nothing can be made, can be used to make money with it. I said, that's funny because you're the Catholic Church. You're the richest business in the world. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> um, so we moved it. We took a year to, to move it. I unlocked it. Here's all the cobwebs. The ground's rotten. The floor's down in 20 inches in the ground. The ceiling's down to your belly, 14 cats living in it. We took a year to, to restore it. So I was so particular on the restoration. If it needed wood, I found 130-year-old wood. If it needed a nail, I hand-cut nails, square-headed nails, and rusted them. The best compliment I can get right now when someone walks into it, they go, man, this looks like it was, no, you never did anything to it. And that's the best compliment. Mm -hmm. You walk into there, it's just like walking back in 1889. It's not a barn. It is a, a training palace is what it is. The man had money and he made it, he, he had gold painted hinges and black painted hinges with gold leaf on it. Um, I found his, I found, so uh, uh, we're cleaning up upstairs. I find Muldoon's original wrestling mat outline I find that we go into the room of repose. It belongs in any house. It's got inlaid 
wood, uh, gas fixtures hanging, the original couch that Sullivan rested on, the original chair that Muldoon was in. We have the entourage table where he ate, the original hanging heavy bag, all of these. We've got these original, people incorrectly call them Indian clubs. Oh yeah. These are swing clubs. I've got Sullivan's original ones. That's for uh, with and used. shoulder exercises. Yes, but they're more than that. They're, you swing in, you swing out. Muldoon made him run with them up to 15 to 20 miles once he got strong. What museum are you allowed to go into and actually handle the actual equipment that the famous man, a famous man like Sullivan had? And I allow my, when I train someone, we do use those. We use the, we use the shot put that he, that he threw. We use uh, um, the, the squeeze machine, uh, the chest, the chest exerciser, his original uh, medicine balls. We throw those around and uh, it's just an awe-inspiring uh, time. We've had a, uh, Leon Spinks came for one day. He stayed for four. He loved it so much. Livingston Bramble's been there twice. Dude, I love Livingston, Livingston Bramble. Baby Joe Macy stood there and said, I fought Madison Square Garden. There's nothing like standing right at the exact same spot that Sullivan stood and hit his heavy bag. And I got pictures of Sullivan there. And um, and you you can do the same. The um, uh, Every fighter does the same thing. And they go, this is a really surreal moment. All right, um, all right. So here, well, let, let's here, go. Here, here's some pictures of, of us when we had to cut it in half and move That's it wild. two blocks. That's wild. Yeah, picture right, so of me Scott. holding the jug, Mike. That's cool. Yeah, picture of me holding the jug. That was under a that was under a trap door in the room of the cell where he was locked down. The people loved him and they told him, Hey Johnny, when you're sequestered out there, reach underneath the cell, underneath the trap door. There's a bottle of booze there for you. I found that jug jammed up underneath the rafters when we when we renovated. Isn't that amazing? That's wow. cool. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's go a little bit more history with you, Scott. I mean, we've, yeah. we've got you, so I'm, I'm yeah, we're going to be more. we're going to be drilling this. All right, anything so more. the Police Gazette belt. So oh, yeah. a lot of times people get thrown by the name of it. Yeah, and the, I, I I know a little bit about it. Obviously, not as much as you. From my understandings, it was kind of uh, a tabloid magazine. Yeah, that was on yes. its way out, and then, yes. and then they sold it to I, I don't know who they sold it to, but that person uh, just kind of on a whim started printing boxing results because it well, was illegal it was Richard, in a lot of areas. Richard K- yeah, Richard Fox. It became more and more popular. Then it kind of became like the underground magazine for fighting. Oh, it was the Bible of fighting. There right. was nothing that compared to it. Nothing. In fact, fighters would even go there believe it or not, to stake, to, to place their, their stakes. The Richard K. Fox at the Gazette held the stakes for the illegal right. fights. So so let's 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 open this up to people that might not know. So in essence, if I wanted to say like fight Miguel, my yeah. backers would have to put the money up and Miguel's yeah. backers have to put yeah. his money up. Yeah. And the police Gazette Gazette belt became the intermediary of yeah. just and Richard the person K. Fox, that was gonna Richard K. Fox held it. Yep. And yep. what they also did was, like, a lot of times when you see these old-time records, um, they're missing a lot of fights. Like, Jake Kilrain, it says after that fight, he fought for 10 years. But if you look at it, there's only one fight less than a year later on his record. So a lot of these old records are incomplete, okay. except with the holding of the stakes, it eliminated the draw. 
So essentially, if you fought like 100 rounds and both guys were standing, even though one guy may have been far ahead, they would call it a draw. Yes. So and, with the and many states, times back then, many times back winner. then, Mike, people like Sullivan, who were compassionate towards their opponents, would always, even when they won, give them a huge chunk of their purse. Wow. Their own personal purse. Yep. They'd have side bets and all, but they would always give them money if it was a if it was a good decent fight, um, uh, which you know you don't see happen happen today. But yes, yeah, so that- you, you you can actually argue that the backers of these fighters is kind of like a throwback to where the fighter was the money collector, and the muscle was the guys or yeah the money collector and the muscle, but you know the mafia were the people backing the fighter. A lot, a lot of times it was. Uh, a lot of people having their money collectors fight each other, just uh, almost like chicken fighting, like cock fighting. Huh. Well, I, I haven't come across that yet. But you well, might be, well, let you me might ask be, you because you might be very right. When you talk about Muldoon, yeah, you're you're talking about yeah he he kind of governed boxing in New York and then actually became the commissioner and stuff and and was a revered figure. But doesn't he come from the old smoke like? Uh, John Morrissey, like yeah, all those yeah. like mafioso kind of no people that Belfast. later turned into. So no, when, uh, Muldoon came from Belfast. Um, uh, um, uh, very, uh, very outstanding upright, upright citizen. He did go down to New York City to make his uh, livelihood as a, a police officer, mm-hmm. and uh, um, uh, uh, also then, but wrestled and uh, vaudeville also. All right, um, now, okay, okay, no, thank let's you. Let's give a little that up. Miguel mentioned the name Old Smoke. So Old Smoke, who was a senator for New York, was a money collector from Ireland and got his name because he went into a guy's house to got into a fist fight. One of the walls came down. I guess the guy tackled him over a hot stove. And Morrissey had coals in his back, like burning his skin and singeing off of his skin as he stood on top of the guy beating him. So, like, this era back then is just so mind-boggling awesome in regards well, Morris, to just Morrison is a, is a, honestly, he's a thorn in my side right now. Um, oh, we've had, wow. we have a, We've had a problem with him um, as far as he inducting did. him. In, as far as inducting him. We haven't oh. inducted him yet. We haven't inducted him yet. Uh, the reason is, when he lost the fight, um, he jumped and killed his, his opponent. Um, after the fight that evening. And so I'm having a tough time with that. Uh, uh, you know, uh, well, that, that, I'm, I'm glad you explained it because to me, that was something that I always wondered about because what you always yeah. hear about Muldoon is that a man of character, right? The, you know, yes. And, yes. and when he comes, you know, and because you kind of old smoke is the 60s and the 50s really there 1850s yeah. and stuff it goes yeah. back into, i was wondering how that handoff went down but I, yeah. obviously he earned it you know as an outsider yeah okay, yeah. yeah that's yeah. good yeah yeah so we yeah we have a we have a little bit of a problem with him but uh um you know i i don't single-handedly pick everybody um we uh have a have a a group that votes on uh, who goes into the hall of fame um um, but again, um, Police Gazette is the Police Gazette itself, and the Hall of Fame are actually two separate entities. I started the uh, Hall of Fame um, right in Sullivan, right in uh, Sullivan's original training grounds, um, built by uh, it was built by Muldoon in 1884. I started it in 2008, 
got it restored and ready to go in 2009. So we've been having inductions since then that in 2014, out of uh, 2016, out of the blue, I get a call from the Police Gazette. I go, wow. It still existed? Yeah, it still existed. In fact, in fact, catch this, Mike. Honestly, Scott, I the last time they gave it. a belt, last time they gave because they went from bare knuckle, they went to gloved. They still gave out awards, but Richard K. Fox was not all interested in it. You know who the last person was they gave a belt to? Ooh. Muhammad Ali. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Let's, let's yeah, go. blows wait, your wait, mind, wait, doesn't wait, it? Wait, wait. Scott, yeah, yeah, hold yeah, hold yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's go from the beginning. Okay. Yeah. So the Police Gazette belt, turn of the century belt, I, I, the, mo- the, the oldest belt in yeah. existence. Am I correct? Yeah, America. In America, the oldest one in ever America. meant to be passed. It's yeah, in the world, though, it's the oldest one ever meant to be passed, owned okay. by one person, passed on to the next, passed on to the next. Okay. 18, 1881, we started. 1882, Sullivan beats Paddy Ryan for the first for the American. It changes into the world, as we discussed. 1889, um, Sullivan beats Kilrain for the bare knuckle. 1892, it now changes to gloved. Marquis of Queensbury rules. Uh-huh. Sullivan is the number one. Uh, the very last bare knuckle champion of the time, the very first named gloved champion of the time, loses that in 21 rounds to Corbett uh, in timed rounds. Right. There you right. go. All right. Wait. So, I mean, let, let's. How does the Police Gazette belt even exist? How does it even make money from what you call 1930 on? How do they. It doesn't. I, it doesn't. I'll give you a clue, Mike. So is it just like a gentleman's social Let me give you a big clue. It do, It still doesn't make money. <laughs> I do all this on my own. No, seriously, I do this all oh, on I my own just to honor history, to honor history, to honor the fighters. No one pays for this diamond belt. Take a look at this belt. It's gorgeous. Let's see if I can see it. I don't know. Can you see that? Yeah, oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah. We like to say real silk. Real sterling, real diamonds, and real freaking history. I want to show I, you something. I want to show oh, you one okay, more thing. So you're like, well, I got this. It, now look at this. Is it more of a social club than Scott? Like, look at this. Do you see that? Not really. Yeah, it's okay. like a, well, it's like an ashtray or. Uh, oh, there it is. Yeah. No, there it's is. the original 1850s medallion. Oh, beautiful. And I had these. Made from it. All right, that's, so Scott, that's his. That's history. Yeah, a hundred percent. All right, is it a social got, club? No, it's not a social club. Yeah, um, it. Uh, the Police Gazette is the Bible of all. The Bible of all, uh, of all, um, of all boxing, all combat sports. Oh, wait, wait, wait. wait, wait. Yeah. I there's first off, there's nothing that comes out of your mouth in regards to it that I'm disagreeing with. In fact, I'm. Sure. In, uh, yeah, I know I'm you in. are. So, so what's your question? <laughs> so my question is, you've got decades of inactivity with this oh, belt. Oh yes, oh yes. So yes, so do. so that sat there. It's how there. does it? How does it still? Like in the year two thousand, somebody calls you up, going, "Hey man, I'm the you know owner of the police gazette. I want you to be the president of it." Like, yeah, yeah. I, it's got to be like a social club at some point. It then. passed. Uh, the paper kept going. The Police Gazette newspaper kept going and kept going until the, they last publicized in 1976 a hard copy 
And then they went, um, uh, then it sat dormant on a, literally sat dormant on the shelf of a closet. Um, and it was passed from one person to another and still Steve Westlake purchased it. And then he put it on the, on the, on, so on the internet, uh, not hard copy. I talked him into making a hard copy about three years ago and he did the first hard copy and it was all dedicated to bare knuckle boxing. Um, but that's after I met him. So he, and I knew at that time when they called me up, probably myself and another dozen people in the world remembered that they knew about the police gazette. So I've done a pretty damn good job of reeducating people about it since then. But I talked to my wife and I said, listen, the police gazette belt wants to meet with us. I said, I don't know what the hell they want. But if they want me to sell me their belt, we're mortgaging the freaking house. We're going to do that. <laughs> my man. My, my wife man. says, and my wife says, I'm in. So, cool. Uh, yeah. You better never, you better never mistreat that woman. Years of the, of the hall of fame. She, I, and I was passionate about it to give you a, a little bit of my history. I'm a, I'm a retired school teacher of 31 years, so um, uh, and what? Not a history teacher, but yes. Uh, uh, and uh, um, so uh, this, I retired and said I got to do something here I, to honor my town of Belfast. So, so that's what I that that so that's what I that's what I did. And she. So you me grew up in? Did did you grow up yes. close to Belfast? Or yeah, in yeah Belfast? I graduated from Belfast public high school, K through 12, one building, 22 kids. Nice. 22 kids in my graduating class. Found the right guy, Miguel. <laughs> Found the right when guy. When we started, when we started, there every business downtown was empty. Now every business is full. Wow. You know, yeah, the, so the thing about that belt is that uh, the history and lineage. And, you know, when I started watching, you know, David Feldman's uh, promotion, yeah. you know, Bare Knuckle FC, BKFC, um, when he started busting out the Police Gazette belt, I had to sit down and just go, whoa like yes. this isn't just a bare knuckle organization no. that's you know attempting no. you know a spectacle or, or yes. you know or we are a competitive hand sport in hand, Mike. we are hand in hand we complement each other a great deal he needs and, me and i he needs me and i need him I and need i tell you, yeah. you another thing that he did and i think it was courtesy of yourself and this is me just doing the math without any information um i believe you gave him the credibility to having box rec recognize the results and put the, put the results on box rec. Am I correct on that or am I off? Uh, well, well, they're there, but I gotta tell you, um, that's not we, an easy task. We use Knucklepedia because box rec is not accurate. The box rec is awful. They take every current bare knuckle boxer and mix their record together. So you take a Julian Lane who has fought in, or a Tom Shelf who's fought in three or four different weight classes, and they tell you his record is four and five, five and four, three and six, whatever the hell it is. That's not right because they are have different records in each one of the weight classes, and it makes a huge difference when I rank them. So, um, so we go with Nuclepedia, and that's the only one we. We go to, but Dave and I go back a long, go back quite quite a ways um, on this, all the way back to the Bobby Gunn era. He was there, of course, with Bobby in 2011, and I didn't come onto the scene until I actually until about 2014 with the belts. But people didn't realize how much history meant, um, and oh, the history dude. is the glue that holds it together. It, it holds it together, and uh, you got you got it, two of the right guys with you because uh, Miguel and I. Miguel actually used to work for a guy 
that was yeah. probably the top boxing collector in the entire world. Yeah. And Miguel would read newspaper articles from like the actual cities that it took place and on a date. And he'd be like, you know, it was before the internet kind of got worse. And he'd read them to me. And I'd be like, you know, he's in Costa Rica and I'm in Chicago. And I'm like, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Like right. my, my boss had, yeah. a, he had a lot of original police gazettes and stuff. And it is, it's great to see like, yeah. you know, it's like the woman got mad at her husband and killed him with an iron and then you yes. know, John kill rain on the next you know, yes, stuff like that. the original tabloid. You're absolutely yeah, right. You know, uh, they did something on Joe Grimm, who is my favorite throwback, you know, fighter from history. The Joe Grimm that really never won a fight. Like that's the Joe Grimm, like 300 losses, you know, but impossible to knock out. Um, the police gazette belt covered or the police gazette covered all of that. Sure they did. Sure they yeah. did. Surely did, and let me fit. Uh, let me finish the story. So sure. I met with Steve Westlake. Uh, I had to drive about three hours to do that. My wife went with me. We walked in. He introduced himself to me, and the first three minutes summed up went like this: Scott, I've been watching you for about six or seven years right now. The police, the police gazette's been on the shelf and done nothing with bare knuckle boxing. We know that you are in it for solely the um, the history for preserving the Hall of Fame and for the fighters themselves. So we want to unilaterally 100% at no charge, give you the title to the police as president of police, the Police Gazette Boxing Corporation and be fully 100% in charge of the belt. The only thing we require is that the belt was the original belt was melted in 1926. And we want to make you, we want you to make one that's just as good or better. And when they saw it, what I had done, they said, oh, my God, that's better. Um, and every fighter that picks it up, it's, this is not what you pick it up yourself. This is not this is not a two and a half pound foam belt. This is a 15 to 20 pound belt. This is a, the real McCoy. When you pick it up, you can feel the history to it. Oh, it's OK. Solid. So they handed you as president. Are the people that were. There no strings, no strings attached. It's Are they yours. still on the board? Oh, um, yes, they. Yes, I put them on. That's the, board. the right thing to do. I put them on the board, but he has said, "Yo, thank you for putting me on the board." He said, "But like I said, he said we've watched you, and we're going to back 100 percent of whatever you decide." Well, you know what, Scott? What a responsibility! You... What a responsibility that was for me sometimes... to do that. So people say, well, why don't you put your belt up for this fight? Why don't you put it for that fight? And I say, because I got 130 years to protect. I'm not going to put up for two Joes off a bar stool in the middle of a fight. I mean, you know, to put up a fight for that. Now, I don't know if you can see it. This is the uh, original Police Gazette belt. Mm -hmm. Okay. Beautiful. This is the Boston belt. And I have a copy of that also. Right. Okay, that the people of Boston made when Sullivan was stripped. Mm -hmm. This is my belt. So it went from this belt to this belt. That's cool. pretty damn pretty damn good, huh? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And like I said, Beautiful. real sterling, real diamonds, real silk, and um, I pay for it myself. Mm -hmm. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, and I, well, I don't well, can believe we ask in, the cost on it. And I don't, and I do not believe in, and here's a thing that people say you're nuts. And that's the problem is that 
people don't do what I do all the time, Mike. So I had a tough time of people saying, well, why the hell are you doing it? There's nothing in it for you. Well, you know what? There doesn't have to be something in it for me. That's passion. No. So, but here's what I didn't like. I didn't like that you would have a belt and have to actually physically give it up. I want Christine Freire, Beck Rawlings. I want Joey Beltran to be 80 years old, 90 years old, sitting in the rocking chair and pulling it out. So every, every winner gets an identical copy of the belt. Diamond, sterling, everything. May I ask the cost of the actual belt? Several thousand. Holy shit. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, you know, belt collecting goes back, you know, the the wrestlers goes back to us. Yeah. Yeah. This this is, this is the, the, the actual initial, uh, because all the little pro wrestling belts and things and everything like that, you know, is decades later, actually. From us. Yeah. Yep. From us. You can trace every single one back to us. Back so, to but, but let me ask you as a fan, though, because, you know, you're from Belfast, obviously the Muldoon, and, and you've got the access to the building. So a couple of, like, your stars start to cross. You I, know, you're I, I own lucky. the building. I, I own the building. So, I, so, I mean, I so, own it. Yep. Yeah, so, so the bottom line is, is you know, that's that's all terrific stuff. and But pure history. When did this new era of bare knuckle start to come into your attention? Like with the BKB and now the BKFC sure, sure, and stuff sure. like the new that. Stuff came, new stuff came into attention in um, uh, uh, 2011 when uh, Dave Feldman uh, um, hosted a fight in the Arizona Indian Reservation and Bobby Gunn was the star there. And he hopped in against all kinds of threats to both David and Bobby um, uh, and uh, um, uh, even calls from political people to, to knock it off. Um, uh, and he won. And what I did then is that I actually gave him, if, you, if we're going to be nerdy about it, I actually gave him the Bare Knuckle Boxing Hall of Fame belt in honor of that fight. I had not yet had the stamp of the Police Gazette. So then the Police Gazette came in a couple of years later and told me the, the story I just, or gave me the story that I just told you. So I went, so I went back to Bobby and said, let me have that belt back. Now we're going to name it the Police Gazette. You're going to be the first person uh, in modern history to own it. And that's how it went. So Arnold Adams is not the first champion. Oh, yes. Now, it's, it's, it's words of, it, whoop, did I lose you? No, I'm, uh, I'm here. No, uh, you, you, you turned yourself off. No, I think you got to swipe the other. There you go. Right. There we go. Okay, so technically, here's how it goes. And, and what are the stories? That's yes, right. No, it's questions. very easy. And I'm glad you are because it's so easy to explain it to people who want to know. The very first person to win the American belt in the ring since Sullivan won it in 1882 is A.J. Adams. Arnold A.J. Adams. Okay. He's okay. also the first. Because Bobby Gunn's not a heavyweight. He, he's also. He's also, oh yes, he's heavyweight. Oh, uh, he's also. Well, I think he's a he beat, real light heavyweight. He, he, yeah, yeah. He beat uh, Shoemaker for it. Uh, he's also, and he's proud of this. The very first black man ever to win it. He's very proud oh, of that. Oh shit! Yes, ever. So now, the very first female ever to win a police gazette belt. Richard K. Fox 
patted the girls on the back, smiled at them, called them all kinds of great things, but never honored them. And I said, if I ever get a chance, I'm going to for sure honor the women. Beck Rawlings was my first world champion, uh, Police Gazette uh, belt holder. Christine Fiera is my first ever um, American belt winner holder. To get to exactly what you're talking about, Joey Beltran is the first ever Mexican. First ever, yes, and he's very proud of that. Very he should be. Entire family is, but he's the very first ever. Not to confuse with AJ Adams, who was the very first ever American belt please get holder. He is. Joey is the very first ever uh, champion to win the Police Gazette World Diamond Belt in the ring, in the ring since John L. Sullivan. Yes, I gave it to Bobby, but the ring was the belt was not ringside when he won it. I gave it to him after the fact to get it okay. started. Got That's it. Fair enough. Right. Yeah, yeah. So let me ask you, like, see, the guy that Miguel used to work for, he, when I would go visit Miguel, like, I literally looked at the sash that, that Jack Johnson wore. So essentially, you've got this amazing belt traveling with the Police Gazette belt, but a guy like Jack Johnson and, and other champions, not just Jack, I mean, and this was post Police Gazette belt would have a like a like almost like a robe uh knot and that signified that they were champions why weren't there more belts like the police gazette belts back in the day like even harry greb find a picture with harry greb that's got a belt he's got cups and stuff like that like chalices but there's no belt ever around his waist in any of his pictures yeah, yeah. well the police gazette did like i say issue they did issue belts for gloves after Corbett uh, beat Sullivan, but only for about 20 years. And after that, they Fox and the people lost interest because they wanted bare knuckling. They want bare knuckling. Wow. Uh, as far as the sash is concerned, they always would wear a sash into the ring. Uh, Sullivan caught flack for his sash because it was an American flag on one side and Irish on the other. The people of America said, how can you dare wear an American <laughs> flag in? And it was very easy. Sullivan always responded, well, it's never going to touch the damn ground when I'm fighting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, uh, the boss had uh, hanging on the wall. They used to always also do, it was like a, a poster nowadays or had the effect of a poster, but it was like a silk, a big silk screen thing they did. Yeah. And, uh, he, he had the original one uh, from Sullivan's fight uh, right prior to that uh, with Charlie Mitchell. Yes. Yes. Um, now, I've, the one I've got, one I've got is extremely rare. There's only maybe four or five of them known to exist. And that is Kill Reigns. I have Kill Reigns when he went into the fight in 1889. It's wow. on display in the Hall of Fame when he went in the fight against Sullivan because it had him as the American, as, as the world champion. And he was only world champion for one fight, and that was the Sullivan fight. What they did back then is they would have six, five, six, maybe ten made up silk. And as they went into the ring, they would hand them to their number one supporters. And that was their thank you for what they've done. Uh, so we have that. And I also have, I also have uh, one of the only known um, fight posters from that 
and it's actually pasted on the inside of Kill Rain's storage trunk, and I have that in the Hall of Fame too. So, so, sweet. so, so how come awesome. these other belts didn't come forward once the Police Gazette kind of, you know, kind of waned interest in glove boxing? I mean, how? Don't know. Don't know. I do. I know, can't figure it out either. Well, I do know that they went to this. I do know if you look on the heavyweight gloved trophy. A lot of people don't know there is a trophy. There's a heavyweight gloved trophy that every heavyweight's name gets put on. The name on it is called the Muldoon Tunney um, Trophy. Mm. So, so Chris, when um, fascinating when. Yeah. Uh, Tunney and Dempsey got elected into the Hall of Fame. Muldoon wasn't into the, it wasn't there yet. And Jack Dempsey gave this incredible speech. And it, it kind of tells you how important Muldoon really was. Like he said, Gene Tunney is a warrior. We fought two times. He knocked me down. I knocked him down. We bled on each other. We sweat on each other. You know, we, we went to war. And... For Gene Tunney and myself, I think he was actually may have only been talking about Gene Tunney. I might be a little off on this, Scott. To be put into the Hall of Fame ahead of uh, William Muldoon is right. just an absolute insult. You're right. He's just, You're right. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. He, well, he, he's just like, well, Gene Tunney is nothing as compared to William Muldoon. Right. Well, and the guy about, there's also, a, a, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to remember which book, but there's a Dempsey book. Or there's a book that Dempsey may have written a forward to where he tells a story oh, about Muldoon. Salad Man. Okay, yeah. The, what it was there was uh, he he says that when he won the heavyweight title and he knocked, uh, you know, uh, the giant down so many times in the first round, at the end of the first round, he thought he won. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, he thought he won. Nice. How many you want? And uh, <laughs> he thought he won the fight. So he wow. actually, Dempsey left the ring. I've read that book. That I think this is what I got. So Dempsey left the ring, and Dempsey's manager, who you love, Mike, uh, was going crazy, kind of celebrating also and stuff. And it was Muldoon that said, hey, wait, you can't even leave the ring until they hold your hands up and stuff like that. You're jeopardizing your title. He's the guy who kept Dempsey kind of clean for that fight. And he had, Dempsey actually had to go out for the second round. So Dempsey's title reign was actually in jeopardy, except for he credits Muldoon for keeping his head together while there's chaos everywhere else. Wow. That's right. Yep. 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 Absolutely. 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 The, uh, um, uh, you know, there's all, there's, there's all kinds of stories. Uh, uh, when you go through the tour, uh, a lot of people take the tour is going to be like 15 minutes or so. My tour actually ends up going about an hour and a half. There's, People always go, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And there's a lot of <laughs> interesting little cool facts. Uh, let, let me share a couple with you. Please. Uh, when, when Sullivan fought back then, and can you imagine doing it now, Chris, um, in between rounds, they would spike the water with whiskey to deaden the pain. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, don't, I don't think the, I don't think the fights would have been going like 80 rounds. It may have been like six rounds. And I'm like, yeah. I'm going to take a nap. I'm taking a nap yeah. for a minute, you guys. Wake me up in the next round. How I got a question for you. How long were these rounds? Were they usually three minute rounds or what, how long were no, the rounds back? Then? No, no. And in fact, a round, a round was went until a knee touched the ground. So some yeah. of the Sullivan Kilrain rounds went um for um eight, nine seconds because Kilrain needed a break. Some of them <laughs> went for 20 freaking minutes. 20 minutes. Um, There's no uh, real record what, of how long they were. Well, what's that? They, 
it was just like uh, they would like if no here. Uh, let me help you, Scott. It was like, like when they need to break, they hit their knee hit the ground. It yeah. wasn't as if it was endless time and then somebody hit their knee. It was one minute rounds, thirty to fifty seconds in between rounds, unless a knockdown occurred. And if a knockdown occurred, the round would end. So some guys, you know, the round you get your thirty or fifty seconds, they'd go out, they'd get you know kind of cover up and take another knee, like repeated knees. Um, not but, during Sullivan's era. Not during Sullivan's era. During Sullivan's the, era, it, it was you fought forever. Last man standing. That's why some of them went until dark time, and they had to call it. So um, they would fight. And um, uh, but the problem is, if you took too many knees, the crowd was pretty damn unruly, and they would get all <laughs> over that fighter and, and and brutalize them for doing Chris, that. Yeah, there was a round went until the knee touched the ground. Now remember. You could grab and throw back then. You could grab like and throw. Um, uh, you mentioned earlier that Sullivan didn't like um, gloves. Well, the reason he uh, uh, didn't like bare knuckling, the reason he didn't like it is because without the gloves, they could grab hair. They could they could poke eyes in the thing. Poke, poke your eyes with your fingers. That's why when you see Sullivan in a bare knuckle fight, he shaved his head and shaved his mustache off so the opponent couldn't grab. He hated that part of it. But uh, yeah, fights went for, uh, you started out the same as today, toe the line, um, three feet apart. Once a knee touched the ground, you had 30 seconds to go back to your corner and come back out again. If you didn't come back out again and toe the line, put your toe on that scratch line in the dirt, you'd wear spikes back then, um, then the game was over. Unless, of course, the audience with their guns and throwing their beer bottles could persuade the referee otherwise. So let me help kind of frame this, like, I mean, phenomenal job. Frame this so, so like, people can kind of wrap their heads around it. Yeah. This wasn't in a traditional boxing ring. What they would do is they would put, like, stakes in the ground and just tie a rope on the top of the That's stakes, right. and that was the fighting area. So if it was gravel, sand, dirt, whatever, you were on top of that, and you, you had to That's stay right. within the roped area. That's now, right. Now, it was, like, the reason the Police Gazette became popular because it was a tabloid magazine was because people would want to know about it or they would hear about it but the crowd was so rough that they wouldn't dare go there they wouldn't want to be associated with the crowd there because it was just so dangerous it was just all you know outlaws you know criminals just scumbags and yeah. boxing never really like the glove era really helped it to kind of elevate it to be like uh, be a little bit more accepted in the upper echelon but also Tex Rickard, um, I think he started Andy Fran, the concierge service, and they used to comb the crowds and just kind of get rid of the bad people. And, um, you know, it, it kind of made it palatable for the, the upper elite to, to attend. Well, and what happened was people say, well, how could you possibly have illegal fights? You've got to remember, no texting, no, no immediate being about was, where the hell it was word and of mouth and the fights the newspapers were two weeks behind every time that's just the way it was it took that long to get it printed and get it out to the people to read so they could never they could never find out about it until <laughs> until then yeah well, so so what's interesting chris is so there's no live game so in essence like when we were talking about like mafia families, this is kind of the money collector. This is the guy they backed. 
if there's no live gate, it becomes a a live betting sporting event. And this oh, is the whole thing. Oh yeah. Oh and, yeah. And you were losing money. Like if you if you got involved on the money aspect of it, you were either ultra rich and you were throwing your money away, or you were just it was part of a lot of nefarious activity was yeah, associated yeah. with with the bare knuckle and boxing scene. Mike, Mike, well, Mike, let me go back for a second because I sure. think this might help might help everybody a little bit. If there was timed rounds, um, like there is now, modern day. back then, you may never have seen gloved boxing, and this is why. Back then, when the fighters would fight forever, it actually got boring because you didn't win a round. It was simply last man standing. You didn't have to fight to win a round. So it would go on. Who wants to sit there for two and a half, three hours? One of them went for six hours. A lot of clinching. So, so here's what the promoters did. They said, how can we make this more exciting? Well, we want them to throw more punches. I mean, ask Chris, what would you do, Chris, if I told you to go over and take your bare fist and hit that wall a few times? Or I said, here, put on a glove and hit it. Well, you'll hit it a little bit more with a glove because there's padding. Without your padding, you're going to be very well, careful about not throwing, right? Oh, yeah. I've, I've always been told that was a reason for gloves. Uh, yeah, like you That's said, right. it, it, it was so you could hit people more. It wasn't to make That's it safer. Right. It was so more action, more, more the, the brain That's getting right. off. It was to save the throwers' hands and make it more exciting for the fans to see more punches being thrown. So yeah. if that had happened, if Dave Feldman's rules and my rules, I have my rules are used in uh, um, uh, uh, Mississippi, uh, Birch Rules of Engagement. If they were used back then, you just may never have seen glove boxing. Well, well Chris, you also got to look at it this way, too. For instance, uh, when you look at like the old video footage from back then of the glove boxing of right when it kind of turned, they're really kind of funny with their hands. And you're just kind of like, what the heck is this? We'd kill them nowadays. But what you're looking at is the bare knuckle style pre-glove boxing was perfect. It was, you know, William Muldoon had it exactly where it was supposed to be. But then when you put the gloves on, you could throw more volume. You could throw more power. It changed the entire stance and the way you fought, the angles. It, it became um, – it's kind of like when we're fans of boxing and then like in the like mid-'90s, they kind of came up with a point system for Olympic boxing, and you're like, they're just playing tag. They're playing like, tag. Yeah. This isn't boxing. They're just kind of mm-hmm. you know touching and running, touching and running. I mean, and, and although that's kind of an extreme example, but it's also very much like you're watching people put on gloves and they're going from a style that works so well with bare knuckle, but they're trying to figure out the gloves. Well, came from the promoters. Came from yeah. the promoters because the promoters wanted to sell more tickets and make more money. Sure. Well, I, I, think, I think, too, that there was a little bit of, of convincing the public that they were trying to do something, but I think everything that they did was with an ulterior motive, you know, just to keep it legal and and to keep it going you're you're you know it's funny to me because when you talk about the adaptation of fighters i think you're right i think when when you put on gloves and you start timing rounds you've instantly changed the fight but 
it probably was one or two generations of boxers that actually had to figure out some of those changes and stuff because they used to come out with it like Ad Walgast didn't have a lot of, or, you know, as in one example, didn't have a lot of true bare knuckle stuff, but he fought like a bare knuckle fighter. You know what yes. I mean? Uh, in terms of more flat footed and just trying to get off, you know, bigger punches and willing to take damage. And, and some of the, it, it took him a while to become point fighters, like in the Sugar Ray Robinson area, I think. Okay. So we talked about John L. Sullivan quite a bit. I actually also really enjoy reading about Jake Kilrain, even though it's very yes. limited information about them. Yep. So William Muldoon trained William or uh, John L. Sullivan. So who trained Kilrain for his fight? <laughs> um, uh, uh, that name eludes me right now. But okay. to let you okay. but to let you know though. Uh, uh, oh, uh, Mike Cleary, Mike Cleary, uh, okay, uh, and Charlie okay. Mitchell, Mike. Cle- uh, no, no, Charlie Mitchell. It was Charlie. Yeah, Mitchell. Charlie Mitchell was. It was Charlie Mitchell. Yep, yep. Kind but, of a, um, to let you, you read know, his though, name quite a bit. In to books show you, to around. show you, uh, to show you the uh, loyalty or lack of it. In uh, 1893, uh, Muldoon had Kilrain come to Belfast and train. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I mean. He trained there. Yep. Yep. And the priest at the church was so pissed off because Kilrain came to church and sat in the back and the whole parish, uh, uh, the whole parish turned around and paid attention to Kilrain and didn't pay attention to the priest. Yeah. <laughs> Have you already went over the uh, the training methods and the barn and whatnot? And no, we haven't no. gone through the training methods at all. Let's do it. I'd, I'd like to, I'd love to have you come up and try them. We just had Chris Saro go through it. We had yep. some other folks go through it. Um, we uh, um, start out with a run. Um, uh, we do horseback riding. We work with the Indian clubs, incorrectly called Indian clubs, properly called swing clubs. We work with his shot put, his 300-pound chain. We drag that. Um, we go up to Muldoon's original home in Blacksmith in his barns. Um, uh, it works a whole different group of muscles. Um, uh, run his trails out where he ran for uh, nine, uh, five to five to 20 miles. His number one run was about nine miles in length. Um, we uh, um, uh, uh, work with his pulling machine in, 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 the, in the building itself. We have his original pulling machine there. Um, uh, Any uh, handball? What's that? Any handball? Uh, no. Because no, a lot uh, of those no, guys uh, used uh, to do that. Ball. Medicine oh, really? ball. We work with okay. his medicine ball. His medicine ball. Um, he, uh, we, we have his original his original bags, uh, he was unusual for a heavyweight. He didn't like the heavy bag. He liked the pumpkin bag. And back then it was a pumpkin. It was just round, swung on a rope and more mimicked a man's moving head than a heavy, heavy bag. He got so strong that he broke those daily and Muldoon started tying up his medicine balls to do that too. Um, but so, back so to my one, one did, story did, that did, I want, wanted to Did Muldoon have with. any children? No, Muldoon had no children and neither did Sullivan. Sullivan, Sullivan had one boy who died at a very, very young age. Yeah. And it's always interesting when I get these. And about once every two, three weeks, I get a, I get a message. Oh, I am Sullivan's direct descendant. Well, no, you're not. Uh, but <laughs> I got to be nice with that. But hey, did, go, did, go did, Sullivan, the, did Sullivan, who'd Sullivan, did he die with money? Who, who did he leave his fortune? No, penniless. Wasn't... He okay. died penniless. Um, uh, he, uh, um, I've been to his gravesite. Uh, you could tell that when he bought his stone, he bought it for his mom and dad. It's huge, massive. But just on the side, 
is listed about 20, 20 Sullivans and they're all just buried one on top of another. Um, and Jake Kilrain was his, uh, one of his pallbearers. Yeah. Uh, they, became, they became good friends. As Chris wow. can attest to, you, you, you make a fight, uh, you fight with somebody, all of a sudden they become your friend and down <laughs> the road, they might be one of your best friends, somebody yeah. you went toe to toe with. And uh, Jake Kilrain, they buried him in February and they had to use dynamite actually to uh, open the grave. It was frozen so solid down in Boston. And Jake <laughs> Kilrain was was known, it was quoted as saying, as Johnny would have wanted it to be. <laughs> and, uh, unbelievable. Let me finish my one story about the drinking that I think you might enjoy. Um, when Sullivan fought Kilrain, of course, after the 40, uh, Muldoon told Sullivan, Muldoon told Sullivan seconds not to spike his, wa his water because Muldoon had worked for six weeks to get him off alcohol. He's still allowed <laughs> one one bass ale a day because you can't stop a alcoholic forever. Um, but the seconds after the 43rd round decided that they were going to spike Sullivan's water anyway. So they spiked it. And after the 44th, Sullivan started throwing up violently. Oh. And, and Kilreen called for the fight to be over. And Sullivan said, no way, no way, Jake. I'm in this until the very bitter end. So then Sullivan went on to win. And after, after it was all over, the reporters asked Sullivan seconds, well, weren't you a little nervous that it was going to be all over? And they go, oh, no, 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 no. We know Johnny very, very well. He threw up the water and kept down the whiskey. <laughs> making more room. Get that water out of here. Right. Yeah. That's right. And, he, and just on a side note, just for fun, uh, uh, just for us and giggles, um, uh, Sullivan made some things very, very popular. You use his name a lot and you don't even realize it. Living up here in the wintertime, what do you wear underneath your blue jeans to keep warm? Long Johns. So the Long Johns. Everything where that name came from? Yeah. He, he, he used he to wear those. Richards, extremely popular. He, yeah. One of the, and, and they call and now and his fans started wearing them and calling them Long Johns. And he lost all his weight. Nellie Bly, um, Nelly Bly uh, at, uh, interviewed him in our barns and said, how did you lose all that weight, John? And he said, well, I wear that thick shirt over there, that wool thing over there. And he said, she said, well, what'd you call it? I said, well, Muldoon, uh, I wear it in July and it makes me sweat. So Muldoon calls it my sweater. And that's where the terminology sweater came from. Ooh. And also Sullivan would classically wear a derby hat. And we've got a picture of his derby hat on the post of this fight. And he would walk in, and his signature move was to take his hat off and throw it into the ring to say, I'm in. How many politicians have you ever said, yeah. Throw their hat in the ring. I'll throw my hat in the ring. So those are just a few of the terminologies and things that we owe to John L. Sullivan. You know, the thing about Sullivan, too, he, he lost the belt to uh, Corbett. Yeah. Who uh, he later started training with. And... You, you know, like the thing about he also gave Jack Johnson the props that he deserves. Like Jack Johnson is controversial on more levels than just, well, he was the first black heavyweight champion. It goes like we, we can do an entire podcast an hour. Sure, on how many other things, you know, Jack Johnson was controversial about? Like he also told the color line wouldn't fight other black fighters. Like there's there's a lot with Jack Johnson other than him. Just oh, yeah. Yeah. Like girlfriend. That yeah, that, that. and John L. Sullivan said in his prime, like in the newspaper, without hesitation, said he would have beat me 
even when I was in my prime. Like in, in like for a former champion that was kind of, you know, bestowed amongst his peers is like, oh, the greatest ever, the greatest ever. He was yep. revered. You know, for yep. him to come out and say that spoke volumes of, of the type of character John L. Sullivan had. Like, well, you see the same thing with uh, Tyson yeah. versus uh, Ali. Tyson said the same thing. Mike Tyson. Uh, he, he, for, and that, that's for sure. For, for yeah. I mean, Tyson, yeah. how much harder can Mike Tyson hit than George Foreman? It couldn't right. be that much harder. And if Ali yeah. ate those punches, he'd eat, he'd eat Tyson's as well. And that's that, that's inarguable. So, yeah. I mean, we're, we're kind of getting off, off topic, but... Um, okay. Right, so you said uh, Old Smoke is too controversial right now. Is there any other bare knuckle fighters that are, are from the old era that are kind of on the bubble because of some sort of controversies in regards no. to being elected to the Hall of Fame? No. No. Well, no. Can, no. Can I ask a couple of questions in terms yeah. of, of you know being a Hall of Fame for bare knuckle? Um, and, and having all the Muldoon ties and, you know, being, the, you know, yeah. uh, would you consider yourself an American Hall of Fame or are you going to be a world or international Hall of Fame? Oh, we that, are a world. Oh, so world. it's like Daniel Mendoza in the, in the, in the, yes, in the Hall of Fame? Yep, okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. yep. And, and I just mailed you guys out, uh, um, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, one of our, uh, the page of all of our inductees. So you have it. Mendoza, Mendoza's been in. Yep. Okay, cool. And, cool. and Jim Mace was one of the first inductees. So, like, Jim Mace so was one of the first says, yep, yep. Anybody that doesn't give Jim Mace props and bare knuckle doesn't know shit about the sport. That's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, now, and I'm stealing from uh, Roger Mayweather, but that's the truth. Let me, uh, let me, let me also clarify uh, a, a thing that maybe some of the listeners might be interested in. Um, people will ask me, um, well, hey, you're putting, uh, Joey Beltran, AJ Adams, they're in the Hall of Fame. They're they're still young. They're still fighting. Uh, what qualifies them so early to be in in the Hall of Fame? Beck Rowling's in the Hall of Fame. The answer is extremely simple. Um, the uh, um, uh, the the last group of fighters from the um, Police Gazette era that I put in were the three featherlights featherweights that won and never got their dues. So here it is 130 years later, and I finally honor the featherweights of that time. So because they were the first ones, the first featherweights of that time. So here I've got AJ Adams, um, Joey Beltran, uh, uh, Christine and Becky. And uh, why are they in? Because they're the first. They're the first female. Yeah, world no, you know, they're the first. They're the first. So yeah. why not? Put them in now instead of making them wait 30 or 40 years and then putting them in. Let them enjoy it now. You can't, they could each lose their next 15 fights. They're still going to be in the Hall of Fame because they're the first ones. You can't argue that. You yeah. know, uh, Scott, you, you really, you can't argue it. Like it's, um, I honestly pondered that question as well. Sure. And then I talked to Arnold Adams. I go, yeah, I'm yeah. a little early, a little early. But then he's like, no, man, I'm the first. I go, wait a minute. Well, you're going to be in it anyway. Like, it right. doesn't matter. Like, you go 0-50 from here on out. It doesn't matter. That's right. He's still, still going to be no. in it. So these three feathers you can't featherweights argue of 100 years ago could never enjoy it. So let these people enjoy it. They're going to be in. Do it now. And You, you, um, can't, argue, you can't argue that yeah. logic. No, yeah. no. It's, it's sound logic. No, no. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, you, you, it's a prize. 
you yeah. know, it's a it's a country club and it's an invite only country club. Right. It, it, you don't want to make it so exclusive to where people are just screaming at you like you right. see in other Hall of Fames. Right. So, no, I agree. If you're the first, yeah. you're the first. Doesn't you're the first. You're you going to be the first. You can't take the first away. You know? I agree. Bill, 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 Clint, Bill Clancy, Dan Migliata, and uh, Wayne Spinola. They're the first refs. They're the first. So they're in. They're I in. know. Let me ask you. Are you going to be doing busts of these I people eventually? <laughs> I'm still trying to pay for the damn belts. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and it cost me. And I'll, and I'll say, I will share with you. I put over a hundred thousand into restoring these barns. Jesus Christ! Are you a five hundred one c three? I am not. Oh come on, man. Nope. Why, Why should I be? Why should I be? Well, you because can take now donations. I have to, you know, people can write it off. If I get people on my board that want to paint the damn place red, and I want to paint it white, it's going to freaking end up pink. I don't want that. And now in today's world, you, your 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 donations on your taxes are meaningless. You can't you can't write them off anymore as of a few years ago. So why? And I'll tell you what, the people of Belfast, the shake my hand, some of the prominent people, and I take my hand back, holy shit, I've got a $1,500 check in my hand. Here, put this to the Hall of Fame. I, I, so, I, I, don't need, right. I don't need that. I don't want it. I don't need it. All right. So my, I got, all right, I got, my question is, you get three statues to put up on that property. Got what two you, right who, now. Got two right got? now. Who do you we got? got Muldoon, we got full life-size marble statues <sighs> of Sullivan and Muldoon. Were those Muldoon statues uh, found elsewhere because they were made, or did you have them done? <laughs> did you have those commissioned? Because there has been statues of him done in the past. Commissioned by 10 Buddhist monks overseas in Vietnam. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that a fancy way of saying you child want, labor? You want to do a 20-minute podcast on that? <laughs> hey, dude, I mean, you got the right people. That's all I have to say. <laughs> no, so, uh, uh, white marble. White marble. Okay, and, so you got uh, Muldoon? Who and else? Sullivan. And Sullivan. Okay. Now, Sullivan me, was the first. Muldoon was the second. Give Mike me the next the three. Third. You're the third, Mike. <laughs> give me the next three. <laughs> Who do you pick for your next three? Uh, I, 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 I think I'm going to stop right there. Those are the two. Those are Belfast. That's the Belfast connection. Yeah, if I was going to do I, another one, if I was going to do another one, it'd be Kilrain. Okay. But at uh, twenty grand a piece, I'm not going to do that. Yep. That's it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> wow. yeah. I mean, so, the Stanley Ketchell. Stanley Ketchell's got one in Michigan. I actually called the artist because yeah. I'm just like, you know, I, I got a garden in my backyard. You know, maybe I'd like to put a fountain in there. How much for that Stanley Ketchell that you just because it's a gorgeous statue? She hundred grand. She wanted almost a yeah. hundred grand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, you know, at, at ten dollars a tour per person, shit, I can do about how many of them? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's our only income. That and our induction. That's it. That's all we do. Well, I'll be up there this year, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, if Lido's yeah, coming yeah. in, I mean, you yeah. expect. I will to say this though. I will say this. We do have a couple. We do have a couple uh, uh, things. One is the medals that we have that we that we present to the fighters. Uh-huh. We do have a support Belfast uh, thing, and people can buy them, and uh, that money goes towards uh, the Hall of Fame in Belfast. I'll definitely do that. hundred yeah. percent, I'll do that. Yeah. 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 That's cool. No, it's definitely something that's worth supporting, and it definitely, 
you know, I just love that whole, the you know, because some of us, you know, myself, Mike, Chris, you know, we consider ourselves a little bit of like pioneer types in, in MMA and stuff like that. And now yeah. we're really in the roots of a sport, you know, 100, 150 years ago. And yeah. I just, I just, I could talk yeah. like this all night. And the other thing we do, yeah. Mike, of course, is you've seen, um, um, and, and, and we've done them a lot, is that we do the, uh, the awards we have. Did you get uh, those made locally? We have the sponsors. We have, we have sponsors per ribbon. We've had okay. Ringside Beer. This is Healthy One. Um, we've had uh, um, Ple- uh, um, Purple Heart Homes, um, all of that. And, and those are like, uh, uh, I think, $1,800 an event. And then uh, after everything's paid for, the excess money goes towards the Police Gazette and the Hall of Fame. And our offices, I haven't talked about the offices. We have offices in Belfast, the Police Gazette with 1903 offices and huge walk-in, massive vault that we keep the uh, belts in. And in another room, and and you're going to love this, I have the original Apollo Creed ring from Rocky II, the one he's famously skipping rope in front of and his trainer is leaning back uh, in front of him from Rocky II. We have that. I got it from Hollywood. It's all restored. Um, I, we train people in that. And in the spring, and Chris is going to love this, we've already talked about it. Uh, I've got the okay from Nate Shook and, and Dave Feldman. We're going to have a BKFC tryout in Belfast in the Rocky, in the Rocky two ring. And that same weekend is going to be our induction, uh, our 20, our 2000, our 2020 and our 2021 induction together. And that's when we're going to be inducting Chris, uh, into the hall for what, for what, for the first commentator, him and him and Sean Wheelock together for the first, why make them wait, do it now so they can enjoy it. You know, I'd say that last big BKFC event, I, I actually called Chris afterward. And I told, because I, I do commentary with Chris as well. We do, uh, we work for B2 uh, Fighting Series. And, um, you know, him and I are, are literally together three weekends uh, a month doing commentary together. And I listened to him and Wheelock go back and forth. I couldn't get, I was jealous. I was so mad because I heard their chemistry and how well they sounded. And uh, Sean Wheelock is a beast. And him and Chris, they just, they click so well. And yeah, yeah. I'm angry about that and I'm yeah. jealous. Mm-hmm. You were probably as jealous as Jeff Houston is in the ring of my shoes that I wear. I, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, yeah. yeah. So anyway, we have a competition. Jeff Houston and I have a competition for our shoots. So, yeah. so Scott, you yeah. know what? Periodically, if you wouldn't mind, uh, you know, what we, we usually do is we recap events and we talk about hot hands. And um, if we could get an update from you occasionally in regards to the standings with the Police Gazette belt and the rankings. Um, yeah, we just we, did the rankings. Just did the rankings again. And uh, we had a videotape out of them. And um, um, we don't do them every single fight. Um, uh, we did this one. And... Uh, and got pretty much across the board. People agreed with what we had done. Now that's difficult to do because rankings by definition are made to have controversy and discussion uh, about. So, and, and, and you probably haven't discovered it, but maybe you have, 
I'm kind of a sensitive guy. <laughs> so I, I really work hard at trying to make it, okay, can I back up every single thing we've done here? And um, uh, those rankings came out very nice. We shot a beautiful video of it. Um, uh, and uh, uh, I'm proud of it and proud of what we've done. This is probably our fourth or fifth rankings that we've done. You do, you're doing a phenomenal job. You really well, are, thanks. man. Like even your medals, like your, this deserves the care and love that, that you're giving it. Like this is, this is more of a, more than a passion project. You know, for all of us, right. Miguel, myself and Chris, and obviously yourself, we all kind of speak that same language. Yeah. That's and, right. and it's fun being, being from the same town as Muldoon, that upstate New York kind of sensibility and like, straight shooting and straight talk it's in good hands man thank you hey yeah well, thanks an awful lot i can't wait for you guys to get in the barns and walk through it and especially uh i can't especially can't wait for chris to get in there and feel it because you what? can actually almost smell sullivan and muldoon in there and to know oh, that's where it all started where it all started we've got the we've got the cot where sullivan laid down the cell where he was chained down i i can I, we got that we just redid the boxing room finally after all these years it was a disaster so you've got the, the ring and his equipment up there we've had espn there the history channel disney tokyo all these people to little old belfast new york that's we, awesome. we, we called ourselves knuckle town usa and we've got signs all over hanging on the hanging on the uh, the street posts too and it is stuck, and the people are very, very proud. Irish. Well, now, let me say, if, I fly to Syracuse, if I fly to Syracuse, how many hours is it driving? Oh, I drive to Syracuse all the time. We're two and a half. That's not bad. Yeah, Rochester oh, no. might be closer for you. Yeah, uh, hour 45. Oh, and, we're, and we're um, hour 15 south of Buffalo. Buffalo's where do you want to fly into. Okay. Hey, yeah, let me yeah. ask. So, like, you know, just for context, because a lot of people, you know, the John L. Sullivan stories that people always get, you know, remember is, you know, that he had been training and then he broke out and then he went to the bar and drank and then Muldoon yes, came and dragged him out. So, now, does that bar, can I buy a drink at that bar? Is that bar still yes, there? Yes, yes, yes. And in fact, for the first couple of years, for the first couple of years, we had a bar pulling contest. Now, the story is, and it's true, is that Muldoon had to leave Sullivan a couple times. So he went over to the barkeep right across the street and said, do not serve Sullivan to this barkeep. Now you got to remember people back then were averaging, men were averaging five foot three height. I mean, Sullivan was a huge dude at 5'10", 220 pounds. So Sullivan walks in, wants a drink. The barkeep says, no. Sullivan gets so pissed off, he grabs the bar, rips it out, out into the street. It takes it down the street. So for the first few years of our Hall of Fame induction, we had a bar pulling contest. It was very, very popular. I might have to bring that back. But when they asked the barkeep, they said, weren't you afraid of Sullivan? He said, absolutely not. I'm more afraid of Muldoon. Yeah. Back then, there was no question a wrestler could take a fighter any day of the week. And our statues show that. When you see the the definition of the muscles on Muldoon in our marble statue versus thus the brawn strength of Sullivan. You can tell. You, you can know, tell. Scott, I, I, all right, I'm about to say something that is so out of line and not appropriate. Okay. And, and not, not appropriate. That's okay. 
you know, it's, 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 it's not appropriate, but like I, I've often thought because of William Muldoon and his advances and just how much he understood the body. I wonder if he was on the spectrum of some kind because his knowledge and understanding. He was the, the first. Human, no one uh, ever thought of the physical culture. No one. Okay, but but you're saying he's the first, which obviously is is inarguable. But his like usually like the first is like okay, it's like the okay, I'm the first guy to hit the four minute mile. But then it's just like you know, well, people realize you could do it, and then they get faster and faster and faster. Yeah. The breakthroughs and avenues that that that, that he went to. Um, are still in place today, like yes. you know, in a lot of aspects. So I never read that Muldoon book that you have. Um, yeah. I should track it down because I do enjoy like reading those old school books. Um, I have read that one. I, I did read that one. I, but but I often wonder, like I, I I don't really read much about his personality other than like oh strong oh my god uh, yeah, strong, I, I, oh I, my god no, no, I have no, a book, right I have a book called the salad man also it's a paperback book when they were writing it they heard about me this was several years ago and they did they did a whole last chapter on an interview with me about the hall of fame and i they sent me a book and i called them up and i said hey why is muldoon not mentioned in any parts of these other ones he said oh they said every chapter is about muldoon but it's a comp we call the compilation when you take mm-hmm. other articles and put them together mm-hmm. and what the people did back then mike is that they wrote about Muldoon, but he was so revered and they were so scared of him, they never used his name. They put in a fake name and wrote about him. And that's what this book is. It's got it all together and it, and it calls him a different name, but it has the stories about him because they're afraid of pissing him off because he was such a such a bastard. His mother even said, his mother I, I, even said, you I, should I, never marry anybody because there's no woman out there that, that deserves you. <laughs> all right, so, so you say bastard and you know what? It could I be mean, a, a nice way. I mean, nice but, well, who knows? Who knows yeah. if it was a nice way? But yeah. when I hear things like that, like, no, you're going to do it this way. And you're like, okay, it's the right way. When you deal with somebody that's kind of on a spectrum, that's kind of how they are. Yeah. He had over hundreds of people, thousands of people come into his White Plains um, gymnasium. Um, and they were men uh, of uh, high regard. Uh, high spots in their society many politicians and he would come in they treat them all the same change into these clothes do this and one guy would say well i don't really want to do that do you know who i am he says, yeah i know who you are you're out yeah uh, he tossed their ass right out if they started to pull a pull a some kind of a shenanigans that they were above everybody else gone yeah. they're done I, I, I often think that like you know if, if i mean Obviously, there's, there's no video of the guy available, right. but I, I often thought, you know, maybe he, he kind of falls into that category of like a, somebody that's on the spectrum. Yeah. You, you could see yeah, video yeah. of him, but he's a, he's an older man. And he's not in, in his act and stuff, but there's video of him out there, yeah. like, you know, around the Dempsey fights and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, yeah, I find him to be one of the more interesting characters of that era just for, for, for a lot of those reasons. But I think a lot of that upstate, like, you know, I, I you're near Mennonite territory and i don't know i know oh, yeah. he wasn't like that but i think that kind of mentality of like uh you know uh self uh you know uh 
you know, I, 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 how do I, how do I put it? But that mentality of like suffering is okay, you know, for the self. There's a greater good yeah. and stuff like that. Like I, he embodied that, and I do think it takes, you know, in the business he was in, everybody was a drinker, and you know, you sat and you had your steak dinner before fights and stuff like that. And he realized that steak dinner might not be good. You know, Sullivan smoked. I think he smoked cigars. No, no never smoked, never drank. Oh no, no, no I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. Muldoon never smoked. Right, but Muldoon yeah. wouldn't touch that stuff now. How, right. we're, we're still fighting that fight to get people to not smoke. That guy yeah. just instinctively, you know, 130 years ago knew it. He's like, I ain't, you know, that ain't good, you know? That's it's right. Like, yeah. That's right. The insight he had, you know? You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. He uh, he would make uh, he would make Sullivan uh, change his clothes three times a day. Uh, if he dropped something on the floor, he wouldn't allow Sullivan to pick it up when he ate. Uh, he made him sit with his Feet under the table. Uh, he had to eat uh, stale, Miguel. Bread, stale bread and and, and, and meat. Uh, he made him change his clothes standing up. Try that tomorrow morning when you put your get dressed in the morning. Just stand up. Um, it's and don't sit on the bed at all. It's a different muscle group. Uh, so, but the bottom. So Miguel, line, wow, Miguel. He was breaking him down. He was breaking him down mentally, like the military, and building him up his way. Mm -hmm. all, yeah. Everything you just heard there is just an argument for my theory. Yes. That's all I got to say. That's right. That's all I got to say. That's right. That's right.